Hello, thank you for joining us on the latest episode of You Are My Borough, uh, where that isn't Scott Wilson I've joined by. This is like a weird turning back of time for me. Uh, <laughs> it's Anthony Vickers who's uh, who's with us instead. Before I explain why Vic's with us, um, thanks for those who've watched the episode earlier this week and for those who dipped into the comments. We'll, we'll get on to the comments and the issues that have been discussed in our next episode, our next regular episode with Scott, which will be first thing next week. Um, just a reminder, as we always do, to, to subscribe if you watch on YouTube or to uh, or to follow if you if you listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so, yeah, we, we promised some special guests and he is a very, very special guest, Anthony. <laughs> Um, C-list, C-list celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Long-time reporter of uh, of Middlesbrough and now club author. Um, and you've been busy. You've been busy, Vic. Yeah, busy. Uh, my new book's out. It's uh, the games that shaped the borough. It's uh, like a, it's a history of the club using milestone matches as a way of picking out different themes. Uh, you know the way I write. There's a lot of social and cultural history dragged into it. Uh, and uh, it's uh, extremely well researched. I've spent a lot of time in the archives, uh, the Gazette, the Echo, uh, the Club Minutes, and I've put together what I think is a, a really interesting uh, uh, approach to the usual suspects of matches that most people will know about, but looked at, looking at it in more depth and in a different way, and I hope that all Borough fans, even if they know the story, will find out you know, uh, things they didn't already know. I was going to say, from the conversations we've had, that this is a lot more than, than just kind of you know, regurgitating match reports from the game or telling the story of the game. It's everything that surrounds the game and the narrative of, of, of what it meant. Yeah, uh, the, the games themselves are, are kind of like a, a hook to hang various strands on. Uh, so it, it, each game, I, mean, I, I do mention the matches, obviously, uh, but it's more uh, the, the subplots leading up to it and the impact that game might have had on in the, the years to come. To come, So the, the matches themselves are, are a starting point for a kind of uh, uh, a, a jazz exposition of, of all the various themes around it. Before we get into the games, um, what, what, what's the process for you when it comes to writing a, writing a book? Is this your third since you... Uh, it's the fourth... Fourth. Fourth kind of set piece one, but obviously I do other stuff around the club as well. Talk us through the process from start to finish. Uh, there's a, the, the best thing about it is there's lots of reading. So I came up with, I wanted to do a history of the club, but kind of cherry pick the, the highlights and dispose of, oh, what I didn't want to do was a, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then they went to Man United and lost 1-0. Uh, th those kind of things can be quite soul-destroying after a while. Uh, I wanted to pick out the, the various themes and use matches that that we know from our mythology, you know, the Mannion match or or uh, the, the Battle of Stamford Bridge, or, for instance, and then pick out all the various bits that, uh, behind the scenes leading up to it. So... You know, to give it a more uh, a more life, to give it some flesh, rather than it just being a the greatest hits of memory matches. What what, what did that, were, were there any anything that you were kind of with any of the games that you were completely taken aback by that you found out for the first time something that kind of knocked you off your feet and in 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 be it kind of an issue within the game itself or something that surrounded the game. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, 
everyone I've approached in a different way. It's not formulaic because different games, different eras have different dynamics. So, for instance, I wanted to do uh, matches that uh, that highlighted some of the, the great heroes of the club. So there's a match in there for Campbell. There's a Mannion match. There's a Clough match. Uh, the, the Campbell one I found really interesting because obviously we know the story. You know, he, he's a cut price signing. Uh, scores 350 goals for the club, an absolute goal machine, uh, neglected by England. We know all that. Uh, when I started, I, I picked a match where he scored five goals at, away at Man City. Uh, it was a top of the table clash, the two teams going for promotion in the second division. Uh, and he, he absolutely ripped Man City apart. Everyone hailed Borough's champions elect, and he was clapped off the pitch by the Man City players. So that seemed like a good place to start with uh, the whole story about uh, about uh, Council. Uh, going into the the, the cuttings files, uh, not just the the local papers, the, the national papers as well were taking a great interest in this. Uh, Borough were briefly the, the cutting edge of. Uh, uh, unfolding tactics you know borough were a revolutionary team that season the offside law had just changed the, the fa were very concerned about the, the declining number of goals loads and loads of nil nil draws uh, it, it, the law as it stood was like a throwback to the victorian game and it was it was three at the back you, you had to have three players between you and the goal and defenses had become so well adept at uh, doing what well, then you know an, an offside trap, where as soon as the opposition got the ball, one of the fullbacks would just peg it forward, and play what's then a five-man attack would, would would all be played offside. So the FA tweaked it and, and made it uh, two at the back, uh, two behind the ball, and Borough were the first team to to adapt to this. And give, they devised a tactical system that suited the skill set of this young striker that had, that barely broke into the team who was uh, re really fast over the first couple of yards, uh, was adept at kind of disappearing on the shoulder of the last defender. And he would, uh, yeah, and he had a, a powerful shot. And the, the Borough team would slot the ball behind the last defender and he would just peel off, peg to the edge of the box and whack it. And <laughs> it, it, obviously big old, uh, big old, Divers' boots, defence found it very hard to turn, heavy pitches. It, it, get, it gave the advantage to, to the striker. Uh, Borough were the first people to, to adapt to that. And obviously we know that he got 59 in the league, another four in the FA Cup, uh, and the, the team scored over 100 goals on their way to promotion. Uh, other teams very quickly adapted. I mean, defences were in total confusion for a couple of seasons. Uh, uh, other teams follow the, the suit. So obviously we know that Dixie Dean scored 60 the following season. So obviously Everton had adapted. But almost every big club's record scorer was in that following season or the year after. So you had like Huey Gallagher at Newcastle and Charlie Buckingham at Arsenal scoring well over 50 goals uh, because of this, this tactical development. So uh, I never knew that. I just thought it was a freak that, that Campbell was a, an absolute monster and, and had a a golden season but if you look at the stats in the game over the next two or three years they're all over the place i mean the, the year before i think it was arsenal had won the title and they'd scored like 75 goals and then two years later they win the title again scoring 129 
that's a massive difference. Uh, so English football was kind of in this massive flux, and Borough were uh, fell lucky, if you if you like, in that they had a, a man with the perfect skill set to adapt to the the new rules. So I didn't know that, for instance, when I started. So uh, a lot of those kind of stories that come out of it are, are, are being fascinating, and I think that'll be the good thing is that you know, most diehard Borough fans will feel they know these stories, but actually there's so many subplots and I've I've gone into a lot of detail. So there's, there's a lot of stuff from the club about the finances, for instance, uh, to come back to the council thing. Borough were absolutely broke. They would not they would not have gone and bought uh, George Campbell under norm, normal circumstances. They'll have been spending £15,000 for a player from Arsenal or Aston Villa. But the, but the, the the post-war depression hit Middlesbrough really, really hard. Obviously, during the, the war, there'd been a steel boom uh, and uh, shipyarding boom, and, and um, places like Middlesbrough were, were full employment. But after the war, those industries just fell apart. During the mid-20s, when they were poised to sign uh, council, uh, unemployment was in the 30 and 40% in Teesside. Uh, the clubs, clubs really felt that the the, the brunt of that because obviously it's a it's a discretionary spend going to the match so a lot of people just didn't uh, gates collapsed and a lot of the people the directors were involved in businesses dependent on steel and the, the various offshoots of that so the club had no money they were forced into making sort of bargain buys and <laughs> they managed to get uh council for 500 quid plus writing off a hundred pounds that they that Durham owed them from a loan and sometimes these things all just fall into place so they were forced into buying a, a cheap striker that they probably wouldn't have looked at the tactics change and you know a new manager comes in and, and exploits that and suddenly Borough are back up in the top flight and uh, with a devastating potent strike force and uh, you're back in the game I don't want to obviously um, go through every game and, and give away uh, the, the the identity of the games that are in there. Um, but there's an Oxford game in there, and and it's not the one that fans of more recent seasons will yeah. uh, will, will will immediately recall. Yeah, obviously, fans of a certain age that is a that is a touchstone match. That is a, a that's a match that has a big cultural shadow. Uh, the, the the game in 1967, uh, last day, uh, 4-1 win, Seals promotion. Uh, that day, uh, Essen Park was literally bursting at the seams. A wall went down. Uh, gates came off their hinges. And the, the, uh, officially, the crowd was 45,000, but uh, the contemporary reports suggest there was a lot more in there that day. Uh, it, it's a really interesting story around it because not so much the match itself, but how the season unfolded, because the previous season had been a relegation season. It was the first time Borough had ever been uh, dropped into the, the third tier to play along, alongside the likes of Mighty Darlington. Uh, it came at the end of a, 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 a long tale of uh, uh, despondency around the Borough. You had the Wolf Mannion era when you had the best player in the world, won nothing. Uh, Brian Clough era, uh, with Alan Peacock scoring loads and loads and loads of goals, won nothing. And relegation for a lot of people was the last straw. And a, a lot of 
cynical uh, old guys in flat caps went mumbling away, uh, never to come back. The crowds collapsed, uh, but it, it left a vacuum. Uh, and into that became came a whole new breed of fans. Uh, I and mean, obviously we all know the, the terminology of the S and Angels. Uh, the evolution of that season and the evolution of that new breed of fans is absolutely fascinating. Uh, the, the, the summer before, the, the World Cup had uh, been at Ayrson Park and crowds were fairly low. Ticket prices were relatively low and a load of young supporters uh, went went to Ayrson, possibly their first match, and got whipped up in the whole hysteria around Korea. Uh, and like-minded individuals, they decided to carry it on the next season once Borough kicked off again. Uh, and they 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 took the whole gate, basically. It had been, been vacated by all the cynical old buggers. And the young kids came in, and, and hundreds at first, then thousands, and they, they started singing songs. They started, uh, uh, there was a, a fad for uh, white lab coats, which they would daub in paint with the name of their favorite player on. Uh, they would adapt songs from the charts and start singing uh, hymns to the players. And it, it's a, I suppose it's a bit like the Red Faction, you know, it, from, from other parts of the ground, that looks like great fun. And loads of kids want to get involved. So this new group, the SM Angels, it evolves over the course of the season. And it's really interesting following the match reports because the start of the season is very, very despondent. The relegated side, they start slowly. Uh, come Christmas, they're still in relegation danger, possibly you know, could go down to the, the fourth division. And gradually over the course of the season, uh, there's more and more references to these, these loud, colourful fans. And, and these young lads who are all 15, 16, 17, uh, it's the birth of the teenager. It's the birth of the swinging 60s. These lads have got a, a little bit of money in their pocket and they start hiring coaches and go to away games. We're talking about teenagers uh, organising themselves. They set up a formal structure. They buy a clubhouse on Woodlands Road just near the old Gazette office. And they have membership cards, you know, this, it's become a very formalised, uh, 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 structured uh, thing. And, and gradually in, in the match reports, they, they become a more and more prominent. Uh, and by by December, Cliff Mitchell, obviously, totally uh, stumped by what was going on here. They're, they're making their way into the intro. And <laughs> they're, they're turning up like two hours before matches and, and greeting the players before, off the team bus to away games, hundreds of them. And uh, the evolution that season, not just of, of that new, a new type of fandom, uh, the, the club kind of regenerates as well with all this youth, youthful enthusiasm. So, for instance, that was the first season Bernard Gent uh, appeared with his uh, radio airsome, taking requests from the crowd and reading out dedications. And, and then halfway through the season, the, the, the airsome angels are formally named the club take them on board they get a column in the program they're on the pitch beforehand handing out prizes to, and wedding gifts to to the players and that season escalated dramatically and at the same time the air some angels is exploding in terms of numbers and color and creativity uh, and the season finishes with that dramatic last 
last dash over the line uh, and towards promotion. Uh, everyone's on the pitch. Uh, it's a jubilant time, and that kind of set that that gave Borough an energy going in the next into the next two or three years, where Stan Anderson built a, a fantastic team that was to be the Jack Charm promotion team. But it's it's kind of like a new a rebirth for the club. And we, we get that sporadically throughout the history of the club, where uh, you get a season of regeneration, where the, the, the crowd especially uh, become more and more engaged, animated. And, and we've, we've seen it ourselves over the years, you know. So the, the ASM Angels regenerates the club once, maybe a similar thing with Brian Robson and, and uh, the Riverside Revolution, which is covered in this. Uh, possibly you might say that the Karanka era, there was that forged a new, uh, very tense. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everything was was uh, roses, but there, there was a new, a new, uh, strong unity between the fans and the club uh, and the team. So uh, that was a that was a really interesting season, and it, it also coincided with lots of changes changes around Teesside. Teesside was a vibrant place then. ICI was booming. Steel was booming. Uh, the Teesside had just been forged out of all the different county boroughs, and it, you know it, uh, there was a pride about it. And the way it reported that season is really interesting. Uh, I mean, as a newspaper man, you know you would read that and you would notice all the little changes. For instance, the the nickname changed in in print. Before that, it had been Borough B O R O U G H, and halfway through the season. Uh, Gazette's getting with the swinging 60s and it becomes Borough as we know it. And Teesside, which had been hyphenated, becomes one word. There's lots of little little changes and you feel like the club is entering the modern era. It's becoming a it's becoming colour almost. Twenty years on from that game, um, the Battle of Stamford Bridge. I'll just ask you about that one because I know that's that's a game and 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 uh, an issue in a time that you studied at length even before this book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, that was an important game because uh, the whole of the uh, another revival, the Bruce Rioch revival, uh, going from liquidation back into the first division in two years, really, that's an incredible achievement. And sometimes we almost brush it off because you you go on to the you know, people talk about that that. Uh, season in the first division and before you know it it's relegation again and Wembley etc etc but th those two years were, were really exciting uh, Bruce Rioch built a, a fantastically entertaining team and again one that engaged with the fans and I, I think, that's, I think that's a, that was a really important team because uh, yes it, it drew in a whole generation of new fans these these were young lads that had been to the same school and this went to the same nightclubs as as the crowd they had so many uh, cultural touchstones in common and you, you, when you think about uh, in football we often think that uh, the team is our representatives or you know they're there's something that we can identify with that team really was you know eight of that team were just like your mates next door and almost everyone in the crowd knew someone who knew someone in that team. So they were like our 
our champions in a lot of ways at a time when Teesside wasn't having a great time in terms of uh, economic recession, unemployment, uh, the the Thatcherite cuts in, in public sector and stuff. And, and we, we were having a hard time on Teesside. And it was important that that team, uh, our public face to the world, was doing well. And the Battle of Stamford Bridge, uh, that was when the, the fairy tale was completed and Borough were back in the first division <coughs> in the face of adversity. And uh, I think people who, who were fans at that time will tell you that probably that moment of unity under attack was a, was a really transcendental kind of experience. Uh, you don't get any more together than that, than, you know, the team are under attack, you're under attack. Even the people in the director's box are under critical attack. So for, for me, that's an, an important match uh, in, in being the, the fulfillment of the Bruce Rioch revival. And, and it's not only um, games that happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the best way into that Blackburn yeah, game and, yeah. and all that followed. Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate in counterfactuals, isn't it? What would have happened if? Yeah. Uh, that season was crazy. There's no question about it. You know, it, it, it was totally surreal. Uh, ended in treble heartache. Uh, and yet so many Borough fans will tell you that's their favourite season. Uh, and... Again, it's the levels of engagement, really, the, the emotional investment that we had to make in that season. And, and for me, although, yes, uh, first ever FA Cup final, uh, scoring at Wembley, all fantastic memories that you, you, know, you would never, never take anything away from that. But for me, that season revolved around the Blackburn match. Uh, th there's a really simplistic way of looking at it and saying, if we'd have gone, we wouldn't have had the three points deducted add three points to the final total, we'd have stayed up. I don't think it's anything like that simple. I, I, Borough went to Blackburn, or should have gone to Blackburn, on the back of a run of 13 without a win. Uh, they'd been absolutely ripped apart at Liverpool. They were in disarray. Uh, Ravinelli didn't want to be there. Emerson hadn't been there and had only just been dragged back. There were a lot of injuries, tactical problems. Uh, Borough were in a really, really precarious place. Uh, I, I think if they'd have gone to Blackburn, played the YTS lads and the tea lady and lost 6-0, I think the season would have disintegrated. Uh, I think Borough would have finished that season 10 points adrift. I think Ravinelli would have would have legged it. I think Emerson would have gone AWOL again. Uh, it would have descended into bickering recriminations the fans would have been on robbo's back etc etc we, we know the scenario we've, we've seen it thousands of times before uh, but the reaction to the three points was an incredible emotional engine which drove that season uh, it would have been so easy to turn inwards and, and bicker amongst amongst ourselves and in fact we circled the wagons and directed all the anger outwards and that became a real emotional fuel that drove Borough on. Uh, and I, I think it saved the season. I, I think it, it revived that season. It, it drove Borough on through the cup runs, which incidentally were the, some of the easiest draws that have ever, ever happened in, in football. I mean, to get Chesterfield in the FA Cup final, the semi-final, Stockport in the League Cup semi-final. I mean, that's, 
that's a pretty pretty wild uh, set of scenarios. Uh, and also the anger over the, the three points held the club together through the summer after relegation because it, it could have easily, easily disintegrated. And in fact, Borough fans were completely tazzed up and couldn't wait for the next season to start because they, you know, they wanted, they were, they were indignant, uh, righteous anger, and they wanted to put the record straight. And, and also, on countless occasions over the years that Brian Robson would regularly tell you about the players who might be coming to Middlesbrough or who there's potentially discussed. Um, what what might have happened? Who might have joined had Borough stayed up that season? Well, I think he'd, he'd mentioned uh, uh, Roberto Carlos. Uh, he'd had a gentleman's agreement with Paul Ince. Uh, there's, oh, there's so many names. Uh, Del Vecchio. And but, Batistuta. Batistuta. Boxic. I mean, they had, they had a massive shopping list. And they had the money to, to bring people in. Uh, but obviously, it depended on being in the Premier League. So that's that set that particular phase of of the Riverside Revolution back uh, years, and it, it actually probably scuppered the original intention, which would have been to throw money at it and pro uh, uh, pump priming with pure cash. And if they'd have stayed up, we might have seen another summer where they went out and bought someone who just scored in the Champions League, another Brazilian Player of the Year. I mean, it, it, the, the possibilities were endless. Uh, relegation was a slap across the face. Uh, and it was a major reassessment. And we, we changed tack quite a bit over the, in the years to follow. There, there are some very recent in the, in the book as well. But just one final one I want to discuss is, is the UEFA Cup final. Um, another conversation we've had on countless occasions over the years is those two semi-finals yeah. and whether Borough might have been better off Winning, de de absolutely, definitely. Winning the they, they, they won the wrong semi-final, and uh, there's an argument. A lot of people have looked through this and said, "Well, why haven't you picked Stoya?" Stoya was a great game, and it was a great game. No question about that. You have to hang it on the final because that is the absolute high point of of history for the club. But the weeks leading up to that were just in incredible. And I mean, I, I mean, we've discussed this before. They won the wrong semi-final. West Ham, uh, and people almost forget we, we had a FA Cup semi-final because of the focus on the two matches against Stoyer. Uh, the West Ham match was sandwiched in there. A lot of people didn't even go to the West Ham match because some of them had only just got back from Bucharest and the, the plans were already there for, for the, the Stoyer rematch. But uh, Liverpool would be the opponents at Wembley and they were already in the Champions League. So going to Wembley, win or lose, was entry into Europe for a third successive season. Plus, obviously, it's another FA Cup final, another chance to to win. Uh, uh, luckily, Liverpool don't play in blue, so that gives gives you a big advantage anyway. And losing to Stoyer in the UEFA Cup semi-final would have been no disgrace. In fact, it would have been progress because the previous season it had been the, the round of sixteen, so it would have been a still still would have been seen as a fantastic achievement. And had they beat West Ham, then then you talk in terms of counterfactuals. There's no saying what might have happened. Third successive season in Europe, uh, recruiting a new manager on that basis, 
uh, recruiting players on that basis. So all bets would have been off. I once, I once oh. Marlon oh. while I was on a stag uh, and, and, and I told him I've never quite forgiven him. Um, I've never <laughs> forgiven him for that for that goal. Apologies my, on my audio. There seems to be some form of. Um, Back, background noise this time. So, thankfully, I haven't been doing. I haven't been doing most of the talking for this for this half an hour. Um, Vic, the book's out now. Christmas is just around the corner. Perfect Good time, isn't it? Perfect gift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think it's something that uh, all Borough fans will learn something from. And your favourite seasons, there's it adds flesh to a, a lot of our our um, mythical skeleton. So I think, personally, I mean, I, I've really enjoyed doing it. Uh, I've, there's loads of anecdotes in there, loads of excellent quotes, uh, some good little stories. It covers all the big, big moments in our history, uh, all of the big names that are part of our mythology. And uh, I think it's a cracking good read. Uh, 15 quid from the club shop, absolute bargain, also available online and in the club's pop-up shop in the Hill Street Centre. And at some points, I'll be there to scribble in them and deface them for you. I was going to say, um, with previous people in the club shop on match days, yeah. I would imagine that would be the case between now and Christmas. Yeah, every home game between now and Christmas. Uh, and I will be in the, the pop-up shop in the, the, the town at, at various points. But uh, So obviously, keep an eye on the club's socials for that. Bernie will be there as well, no doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all right, I'll, I'll run him. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Vic, and, I, and um, I would heartily recommend that. That goes without saying. As Vic said, it's 15 quid. It's available now from the club shop. It's online from Friday, which will be now because this video and, and podcast is going live uh, on, on Friday. So, um Please, if you if you're stuck with what to get for for a big borough fan, then there you go. We've we've sorted you. I've sorted your Christmas present problem. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Vic. Best of luck with it, and uh, same time next year when you when your fifth book <laughs> is out. Thanks again, Vic. And we'll, be back, we'll be back early next week with a, with our next episode of You Are My Borough.